When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome Podcast. Welcome to episode 38 of The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. I've got a quick refresher right off the very top if you're only now finding this podcast for the first time because this is different than the other shows and podcasts that I host. The premise here is just what the title suggests. I'm looking to reinvent myself. Fact of the matter is, I had never stopped working. In fact, if anything, I was working as hard as I ever had, but the problem was, while I was working, I was not growing. I was not evolving. And if you're not evolving, then you are decaying. And we all know that either you're getting better or you're getting worse, and I knew that I was not getting better. So I figured I'd better bow the hell up and do something about it. So here we are. We're here to reinvent our minds, our body, our spirit. And I talk about the things that have worked for me in getting to this place in my life and career and the areas where I know I have to improve. And I'm looking to find as many high achievers who are either pursuing similar things or have already achieved tremendous success in these areas. I bring them on. We talk about it. And I can't say how gratifying it is to hear so many of you say to me, this is just the sort of thing that I needed at this time or my mindset is improving dramatically, or my diet and nutrition are so much better. It means the world to me that you would listen to the podcast, and it means even more that you're getting something out of it and improving your life, because that, of course, is why we're here. Now, in terms of reinvention, my guest today is the very definition of that. Now, what I'm about to say does come up in our conversation, but... One of the things I like best about this podcast is it provides me the opportunity to speak to so many fascinating people that I ordinarily would not talk to on my other programs. As most of you know, I cut my teeth as a sports talk show host. And while there is a synergy between these two worlds and a great deal of crossover, I really want to meet new people, experience new things, and get some new perspectives. So I intentionally limit the number of athletes or former athletes that I talk to here. But it's not etched in stone. And today's guest, Joe Hawley, is a perfect example why. Joe played several years in the NFL before walking away from the game at age 29. He didn't just retire from the sport and potentially leave millions on the table in the process. He ultimately decided to adopt a minimalist lifestyle. He gave away almost every material item he had. He sold his car. He bought a used van. He customized it. He moved into it. He got a rescue dog, and he traveled the country for the better part of two years looking to heal himself physically, mentally, and spiritually. It is an incredible story. A millionaire who moved into his van, and now he shares the lessons learned from the van and since with other athletes looking to find themselves once the cheering stops, as well as the rest of us who are trying to remain present, attack our fears, and achieve true self-actualization. I can't lie. This particular project and pod slash show is one of my favorite projects of my entire career. It is the Reinvention Project, episode 38 with former NFLer Joe Hawley, and it's coming at you right now. 
Joe, I am pumped to have this opportunity to speak with you about your personal journey and the work that you're doing with others on their minds, their body, their spirit, because I think you've got some powerful insights and information to share. Thank you so much for making time and doing this. How are you, Joe? I'm doing fantastic, getting prepared for this uh, freeze that's coming through Austin right now. But other than that, I'm really good. Glad to hear it. Glad to with you. Yeah, good, good. Listen, so normally, Joe, when somebody says it's not about the money, it's about one thing, the money. Except when you left the NFL, you were just 29, so you left money on the table. So let me start right there. For those who do not know the story, if it was not about the money for you, what was it about, and why did you leave the game when you did? Yeah, I mean, there's a, a lot of context that goes into that. But, you know, for me, it was living a childhood dream, you know, having the opportunity to make a lot of money. And I'm really grateful that I had a chance to make that type of money and live that kind of dream out at such a young age, because it made me realize that that's not all there is to life. And I really wanted to experience what life was like on the other side of football, you know, and and really experience that freedom for myself. And when I first left the game, I really, you know, questioned and went through a really challenging time, which I think a lot of former athletes, you know, confront is, you know, who am I without this thing that has defined me for so long? And you know, I got to a point in my career where my body started breaking down. Um, you know, I had a couple, you know, serious injuries and just the, the wear and tear of it playing eight years in the NFL and, you know, decided that my health was a priority. I had made enough money in my career to be, you know, financially secure. Yeah, I could have played a couple more years and it was a challenging decision to, you know, choose this thing that I was really good at. I mean, that's one of the things I missed the most is being one of the best in the world at something. But I knew that there was something deeper calling me to walk away from the game and, and, you know, a deeper exploration of myself and, uh, you know, figuring out what that freedom was like on the other side of the game. All right. So that's really heady stuff. And among other things, like you just said, you picked your health over your career or your health over the game. For those who do not know the next chapter, what did you do when you retired? Yeah. I mean, I went through a a pretty big transition awfully, obviously it wasn't just football. I went through a pretty big breakup. I was engaged at the time. And so you know, about three or four weeks after my final game, I was sitting on my couch and, you know, asking the question, like, now what, what do I do? And I knew I had to get moving. I wanted to, you know, experience the freedom, like I talked about. And I thought the best way to do that was to travel. And, you know, I think every, everybody always dreams of doing, you know, the, the 50 state road trip and getting on the road and, you know, the freedom that the road has to offer. So I ended up uh, buying a van. I rescued a dog from the local shelter and ended up traveling the country for the better part of two years. I mean, Joe, there's so much in that. Like, I mean, you dealt with two major things, like traumatic things, like your identity was your football, and then you had a relationship and a traumatic breakup. I mean, these are two things that, frankly, some people never get beyond either one, and you were dealing with both of them simultaneously. I hear what you're saying, like, I had to get moving. How did you go about attacking that and starting to kind of process that, recover from that? What was the process to start? Yeah, I think, you know, I watched a documentary on Netflix uh, called Minimalism, and I thought that concept was really cool. And, you know, talking about, you know, making all the money and and basically, you know, getting to a point where I could basically afford anything I'd ever wanted as a kid. And so I got to a point where, you know, it kind of loses its zeal once you can afford it, you know, funny enough. And I think anybody that's made that type of money can really, you know, connect with that. And so I, I wanted to explore and find out what more to life there was and you know what my like who i was without you know the weight of all these material possessions that i had and so i ended up giving away all my stuff to charity and i wanted to live this minimalist lifestyle and live on the road and live in the van and go on this road trip and really explore my freedom and a part of that was 
you know, I really didn't feel grounded anywhere. I didn't really feel like I had anywhere to call home. Like my, I grew up in Southern California. My parents had moved to Texas, you know, I have friends all over the country and, you know, played, you know, in Atlanta, I played in Tampa. I just didn't really know where I belonged and who I was without this thing that had defined me for so long. And so I, I wanted to go explore and experience the freedom. And so being on the road really gave me that opportunity. And, you know, I don't think it was a, you know, a lot of people, you know, I, I shared my journey through a blog called Man Van Dog Blog, and, and it was a really cool experience because I was able to inspire a lot of people by going and uh, experiencing that journey. But I think a lot of people think, you know, it was an easy decision. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, if I've made a lot of money or I had the opportunity to go do what you did, I would do it too. But there was a lot deeper stories involved and it, it really confronted me with, you know, getting outside my comfort zone and confronting my fears and really going out on my own to figure out who I am. And that journey, you know, really was a lot. And I learned a lot about myself and I'm so grateful for it because it was absolutely transformational in every way possible. I mean, Joe, my head's spinning. I've got like 50 things I want to ask you based on that answer alone. Today, so many small business owners are busier than ever before, so time spent searching for and interviewing candidates can take time away from managing and growing a business. It's hard. This is why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get the candidates worth interviewing faster, and it is free. I love the site. I use it all the time. This is where we look for people on my staff. LinkedIn Jobs. Create a free post Create a free job post in just minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. Focus on candidates with the skills and experience that you need. Use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified people. I'm always amazed at how many qualified candidates come back when I use it. Then use the simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you would like to interview and hire. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates worth interviewing faster. Did you know that every single week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? So post your job for free. At linkedin.com slash R-O-M-E, linkedin.com slash Rome to post that job for free. Terms and conditions do apply here. But why don't we start right here? Like, what was your biggest, biggest takeaway from living in your van? What was that like? Oh, man. I think, you know, knowing that, you know, living this alternative lifestyle, I think we're, we're told growing up what the idea of success looks like, what happiness looks like, you know, financial success and relationship. And there's kind of this roadmap that's laid out for us, especially in this society and this culture. And to live an alternative lifestyle and to know that there's a different way to do things, I think really gave me permission to really do things differently and go explore and travel and, you know, do things outside of the box, which I think, you know, really shifted my perspective profoundly because, you know, knowing that I can live in a van and be comfortable doing it, it allowed me to not attach to as many material things, at least my worth in those things. And so traveling in the, around the country for a couple of years in the van gave me this sense of if I can do that, then, you know, I feel comfortable, I feel safe. And, you know, coming back now, um, you know, starting a business and getting back into the world. Like I have nothing wrong with material possessions, but now I no longer attach my self-worth to them, which I think makes all the difference. All right. So like, for instance, when you talk about that minimalist lifestyle, it's a mentality of quote, live with less, 
experience more. Now, it would seem pretty self-evident, but can you explain what that means to you? What's it like to live with less and experience more? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things in there. I think when I first started giving away my stuff to charity and like unloading my actual material possessions so that I, you know, if it didn't fit in the van, I gave it away. I literally felt like a physical weight was lifted off my shoulders. Like it actually created more space for me to go be free and go explore and travel around. So I think there's that. And then, you know, the freedom that it provided me to know that, you know, I'm, I'm really, I obviously I'm really grateful that I had an opportunity to make such good money and yeah, I could spend it on material things, but this opportunity made me understand the importance of experiencing life to the fullest. And so I've decided to adopt that, you know, mantra, live with less experience more. And so I'm really all about, you know, spending my resources on experiencing life to the fullest, because I think those are the things that add value to my life, make me feel more fulfilled and uh, more connected uh, to myself. Like when you talk about giving your stuff away, I mean, are we talking about like, did you give everything away? Like what did you decide to part with and what did you decide to keep? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I had a, a Mercedes C, C300 coupe, which I really liked. I didn't give that away. I ended up selling that back to the dealership, but it was a big lesson in depreciation. That's for sure. Yeah, right. Uh, um, but, but yeah, by I the mean, way, the second I you drove up, that thing off the lot, right, it was a big, a big lesson in depreciation. I think we've all learned that lesson. Yeah, I bought it brand new like a year and a half before and then ended up selling it back for half the cost. Um, so I learned that lesson pretty big. Um, but it was a win-win. I really, you know, when I made the decision to, to hit the road, buy the van, you know, I looked around my apartment, I had all this stuff. And so I actually went and tried to figure out how to get rid of it. And so I was like, okay, I can sell this on those apps, like offer up or something. And I tested it out. I took a picture of a lamp, listed it for $10. And then someone bartered with me and said, I'll give you $4. And then they came over and they were two hours late. And I realized, you know, what am I doing? This, this, this whole experience for, for $4 for this lamp, and this is just going to be so much work. So I ended up reaching out to a nonprofit local to the Tampa area. And I said, if you guys have moving trucks, if you have volunteers, I'll just give all this stuff to you guys because it'll be just easier for me. And it can, you know, go to help support, you know, other people that may, may need it. So it was a win-win in that, in that regard. All right, just one more thought about like the, the shiny stuff. And I'm, I, I wish I were better than I am at this. I've gotten better at it, but I still fall prey to this. I still kind of like have that, that dopamine of opening up a box and getting something shiny. You refer to it as the cycle of materialism. Explain what you mean by that. It's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like, you know, nice stuff too. And I don't think it's, there's anything wrong with making money and, you know, living life to the fullest in any way that you you can and, and creating, you know, financial abundance and material abundance. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I enjoy it just as much. But when someone is looking for that dopamine hit or that thing to fill a void within themselves, that is something that is so fleeting and it leads to never really feeling fully satisfied. And there's always more to be had. I mean, when I was playing in the NFL, you know, I, I ended up becoming a starter. I think at one point I was making $4 million a year. And I remember looking over at the, the, the guy next to me who's making $10 million a year or a guy on a different team that's making $10 million a year. I say, man, that guy's not that much better than me. I should be making $10 million a year. And I had this big wake up call, like, wow, like no matter how much money you make, there's always somebody that's making more. And there's always more stuff to have. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with having stuff and creating a life that you want to live. But when you're using that to fill a, a deeper void within yourself, it's, it's never going to fully satisfy you.
Hey, you know what that sound is? That sound makes me smile every single time. That is the Shopify sound. The sound of another sale on Shopify. The all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big business. That way, upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. Trust me, this very podcast started out selling office chairs. Now we're selling business solutions, technology, and more, and we are not stopping there. Because success is a million milestones on a forever evolving path. Entrepreneurs know that. Shopify powers over millions of businesses just like this one from first sale to full scale. Reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. Go to shopify.com slash all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get access to Shopify's entire suite of features. You have to check this out. Grow your business with Shopify today. Once again, go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E right now. Shopify.com slash Rome. Joe, isn't that the truth? Like comparison, like get into that for one second. Like what you just said just really resonated with me because there's always going to be that person who makes more money. There's always going to be that person who's in better shape. There's always going to be that person who has more followers. There's, there's always going to be that. How dangerous is that comparison game? Yeah, it's uh, it's really challenging. And I, I, I definitely find myself still, still challenged with it. Um, I think it's just, you know, a part of being human. And especially in this this world in this, you know, super connected world, especially with like social media, it's so easy to compare yourself to others. And, you know, I think running your own race and knowing what you want to create in your life and, you know, really connecting with that deeper purpose and mission that you have to be of service to something greater than yourself. That's how I've found fulfillment. And yes, I find myself struggling with comparison to other people who have maybe found success, you know, outside of football, because that's one journey that's really challenging as an athlete is basically having to start over. And that takes a big ego hit, being one of the best in the world to all of a sudden going on this entrepreneurial journey and having to learn so many lessons. And so I naturally compare myself with to some of the best in the world because that's what I was and that's what I want to be. And so really finding that balance within myself and of, of really giving energy to that drive, but not attaching to it and trying my best not to compare to others. But it is a, it's a practice. It's, it's coming back to myself every day, finding stillness quiet and really connecting with who I am and what I'm here to do. I was going to say, in fact, you just touched on this. I was going to say that when you left the game, were you looking to chill out and hang out and take it easy? Or were you immediately looking to be great and dominate something again? Yeah, I definitely was aware enough to take some space to really just be with myself. And that's part of what the road trip was. And you know, I wanted to get into business and in, in, in entrepreneurship and investing. And so when I started the blog, I actually was able to test a little bit of like the business stuff because I had no idea what I'm doing. I haven't ever done it before. I just focused so on football. And so I ended up starting, you know, an LLC. I started a, I got a little brand. I started a blog that I shared, you know, via social media and I was able to like track expenses and, and write it off. And so that gave me a little bit of a taste of business just to practice, but really gave myself that space for about a year and a half. But then you know, towards the the tail end of that trip, I started to ask myself, okay, now what, you know, what is my purpose? What am I here to do? And I think I kind of 
was able to stall those deeper questions a little bit by enjoying myself and enjoying the freedom. But that drive to not just be great at something, but to have an impact in the world and inspire others and facilitate change. That's something that I felt this calling in my heart to, you know, figure out what that was. And, you know, that journey led me into what I'm doing now. And I think that's just a continuous, continuous process. All right. So I'm going to hit on that in one second. One more thought about the journey or the trip itself. Like if you're on the road and you're in the van and it's a year and a half or more, was and I'm sure it was the most amazing thing ever, but was it lonely? How lonely did it get? Yeah, I mean, there was definitely times when, you know, I was by myself a lot. Um, you know, I think the cool thing, you know, if I would have done this 10 years ago before social media, it would have been a completely different experience. You know, I was really grateful that there was a couple articles when I first retired on USA Today and ESPN. And so I got a pretty big following pretty quickly, sharing my journey through social media. And something that was really cool about that is, you know, when I went to a different city and I wanted to hang out with people, what I would do is I would go to a baseball game and I would say, Hey, I'm going to be at this baseball game for the next couple of days. If you want to hang out or chill or just, you know, chat, then come to the baseball game and, and hit me up. And so I was able to actually like meet a lot of people on the road, which was a really cool experience. And it actually, you know, got me outside of my comfort zone of even meeting people. That's why I did it at baseball games, because then I could go see them where they're at. And then, you know, if they're kind of weird or creepy or the energy wasn't right, then I would say, Hey, I got to go watch the game. I'm going to go back to my seat. But more times than not, the people were amazing. And I actually met some of my closest friends to this day out on the road, just continuing to get outside of my comfort zone and meet new people. And so, you know, it was a, it was a mix. It was going into the cities, um, different places, connecting with people, but then going out into national parks by myself and camping. And I think a really cool thing is there's a lot of people on the road that are living this type of lifestyle, even if it's just for like you know, a couple of weeks or a month with family and friends, there's, you know, always people out exploring. And so you just naturally connect and meet other people on the road, which is a really, really cool experience. Well, of course, Joe, let's be real. You were not alone. You had freedom. Where did you mm -hmm. find freedom? What was she like? Oh, freedom is, you know, I, I don't even know how to put into words how much she means to me. Um, you know, when I first walked away from the game and I wanted to do this trip, I knew that, you know, I didn't want to be super lonely on the road, like you said. And so I thought having a travel companion and a dog with me would make all the difference. And so I ended up going to a few different shelters around the Tampa area and you know, I ended up going to this one and there's hundreds of cages or pretty big shelter. And excuse me. And I came across this dog and, you know, when you go to a shelter, most dogs are up on the fence barking and, it, you know, just like, Hey, take me, take me. I want to get out of here. But, you know, freedom was curled up in the corner, just sulking and just really sad. And when we made eye contact, I just really connected with her essence. And, you know, me being just a couple months out, out of football, really excited, but also a little bit scared on what this journey was going to entail. I just saw so much of myself in this dog who was trapped in this cage, who, you know, I knew wanted to experience freedom, but there was nobody there to support her and guide her and be with her. And so I knew right away that this is the dog that I want to go experience this freedom with because I know she'll get it. And we had an absolute blast on the road together. And, you know, she's still to this day, my absolute best friend. I'm so grateful for her. Dude, that is so awesome. I love that. I, that's one of my favorite parts of the whole thing. Listen, let's get into really quickly what you're doing now and the way you are making an impact. For instance, what would you tell somebody who is actually really unhappy with their current situation or really unhappy with their life or their relationship, but they're afraid, man, they're afraid to step out into the unknown and they're actually paralyzed by that fear. What do you tell that person? Yeah, I think you, you hit on it. It is, it's fear. And 
what I found and the mantra that I adopted when I first walked away from the game, I think I read it in a book somewhere on the other side of fear lies freedom. And I knew that the freedom that I desired was on the other side of my fear. And so I made fear my ally. I actually went towards the thing that scared me the most. And the way you know that you're in fear is you feel it in your body. There's, there's you no know, resistance. There's, there's doubt, like all these things. And, you know, if you're in a situation that you don't feel, you know, yourself are aligned, it really is about coming back to yourself and getting curious on, on why. And what is it that's that's wrong? And obviously, there's a lot of nuance and complexity to each individual's, you know, certain story that they're going through. But really exploring and coming back into yourself, I think it's it is a challenge, and it takes a lot of courage. And when you learn to embody that courage, I love the saying: "Those who embody the courage to go into the unknown, the universe rewards with you know deeper purpose and meaning." And I truly believe that. So I think it's about recognizing your fear and you know working through it gold that was absolute gold what you just said like for instance to personalize this what sort of fears did you have to confront in recent years what kind of things did you find yourself leaning into to make your ally yeah i think you know the thing with fear is there's so many layers to it and as you uncover one you just continue to find you know deeper and deeper levels to it um, I think one thing that can, you know, really relate to a lot of people is, you know, I had this experience when I was in fourth grade where I was, you know, developed a real fear of public speaking. I think that's, you know, a lot of people can relate to that fear, but I had this experience when I was in fourth grade when I had my first presentation in front of a class and I was unprepared and I went and, you know, stood up on front of the class and I froze and the whole class laughed at me. And that created this really profound fear of being seen, of being in front of you know, crowds and speaking. And there's a whole lot of context on how that affected my actual leadership journey when I was playing football, because I never really fully allowed myself to step up in the leader that I knew I could be, because I had this fear that was holding me back from fully expressing myself. And it's funny, when I hit the road, I knew, for some reason, I'm feeling called to be a public speaker or be, you know, on stage to share a message and, and share this story and just, you know, like this being on this podcast. And you know, I'm so grateful for the journey because I've been able to, you know, test that and get outside my comfort zone and basically have this like exposure therapy where I continue to, you know, confront it. But I truly believe that is my biggest fear because I know that is what I'm supposed to be doing. And so if you can really identify your fear and go towards it, you'll not only grow tremendously, but you will find your deeper purpose and meaning in life. It's an amazing testimonial, Joe, by you, because, you know, frankly, I think I've conducted, I don't know, maybe 8 million interviews in my time. And to hear you say that your biggest fear was public speaking, that you were kind of scarred by this experience you had as a fourth grader. I'm having this conversation with you. This is as good a conversation as I could ever have with anybody. So to hear you say that, I think it's a great, great testimony of exactly what we're talking about here. You need to run towards your fear. You need to lean into it. You've used the phrase heart-centered work. What is heart-centered work? What does that mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm really passionate about you know, specifically helping men and, and facilitating um, the opportunity for men to understand themselves and drop into their heart, understand their emotions, be able to express themselves. And, you know, I think in our society, in our culture, we're really, we're really heady. We're lost in our minds, we're lost in our egos. And to be able to drop into the heart, into the soul, into, you know, the real felt sense experience of, of love and connection to the thing that is greater than yourself, I think the more we can do that and the more we can evolve individually will help shift, 
you know, the big problems and issues we're facing collectively. And I think it is about dropping from the ego down into the heart and trusting that there is this, this whisper, this, this knowing, this thing that is guiding us, whatever you want to call it. And a lot of times the thing that is getting in the way of us actually exploring that and allowing it to lead us is the fear. And so they're very tied into to each other. And that's why on the other side of fear lies freedom. And if you can recognize your fear and confront it and alchemize it, you can actually drop into the heart and allow it to lead you, which is a continuous process that I'm still trying to uh, embody each day. I was going to say, I'm sure it's something you teach and it's not easy to kind of reconcile or answer in a simple question, but I was going to say, how do we, or at least how do we begin to get out of our own heads and into our own hearts? Oh, yeah, that is a, a deep question. Right. I think there's a lot of, you know, daily practices that can really help slow down. Um, but I really think it's about being able to connect with the body, with the nervous system and, you know, our emotions and our emotional body. And especially men, this is why I'm so passionate about working with men is even when we have a feeling, we tend to intellectualize those feelings. We can talk about how we feel, but we don't allow ourselves to actually feel what's coming up. And there's a lot of reasons behind that. You know, I'm sure all of us as, as, as young boys were told, you know, grown men don't cry, toughen up. All these stories really have a long lasting impact on who we are as we go into adulthood. And I don't think we have been modeled in a healthy way to express our emotions. And if you don't actually know how or have the tools, then those emotions can really express in unhealthy ways that can affect, you know, not only yourself, but your relationships, your partnerships, and even, you know, how you show up in the world. And so I think it's about connecting and, and finding, you know, the tools and the community and the right people to, you know, feel safe enough to do that work where you can actually identify your emotions, understand yourself more, and then be able to express them in a healthy way. And there's a lot of different tools that can help you get there. But I think the biggest thing is really finding a community of support where being real and vulnerable is, you know, honored and respected and revered in those settings. Joe, I'm really curious. Like the thing I love about this podcast and this journey that I've taken on is, well, I get to talk to people like you and learn things like this. There's a million things I love about this, but what I like about it also is I'm not talking sports. I want to talk about something else, but every once in a while I find myself sliding back into my day job. I'm really curious, like you are such a different person now than when you last played the game, but if the person you are right now were to go back and play the game and physically you're in that same place that you were then, all right? I'm saying like mentally and emotionally, would you be a much better player or knowing what you know right now and the way you view the world through this prism, could you not have played the way you had to play back then to be successful, if you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's a really good question because, you know, if you go turn on the film of when I used to play, I was... You were an animal. I savage. Like, yeah, yeah, I was an animal. Like, I, I would always play to the absolute end of the whistle, sometimes over it. I would always, you know, try and get under the D lineman and, and defense's skin by, you know, you know, pushing and running after the ball and just playing really hard. And I think towards the end of my career, I did start re-identifying and being able to harness my emotions uh, at a different level, which allowed me to actually harness the energy instead of it coming out in unhealthy ways where, you know, I'd get a personal foul because I get frustrated, especially in college. Like I played at UNLV, we weren't very good. And so I'd get frustrated a lot, which would lead to personal fouls because I didn't know how to harness that aggression. And even towards the end of my career, I was able to still play with that type of tenacity, but I was able to be a lot more even keeled. And, you know, the way to answer your question, because I've always thought about, you know, a lot of my football career, I always wanted to be a coach and, you know, I love the game that much. And towards the end of my career, I, I realized 
you know, I'm, I'm a little bit footballed out. I want to go, you know, try my, my, my hand at, at something else and being an entrepreneur. And I thought I could have more impact that way, but I always reflect on, you know, what if I was a coach, could I go back and coach? And I think, you know, being like a head coach, like, could you imagine going into a team meeting room and having the whole team take, you know, three deep breaths together and creating a safe space for guys to really explore their fears? Like, what, what's your fear here? Is your fear of giving up a sack, you know, on, on third down, you know, sack fumble and, and losing the game for the team? Like, let's talk about those fears so that they don't show up and we can actually prepare for them and work through them and creating that safe space for those guys to explore those, I think it would actually really heighten their performance on the field. And, you know, just doing things like visualization together as a team and the collective energy. I just think that may be, and I think it's been five years since I've been in the league now. So that could be something that's evolving. I think there is a lot of things that they're implementing, but just being able to really connect with the team and the culture and build that in the team, I think that would really help uh, excel guys and, and make it just a more, you know, a better environment for these guys as well. Oh, no doubt. I did this without any question. You would be an unbelievable football coach, but I think that right now you're coaching life, which is even mm. more important and you can have a greater impact. You know, a few moments ago, you used the word alchemy. You've got a program called fear alchemy, and I'm sure we've been talking about this, but specifically, what is that program about? How does that work? Yeah. So, I mean, we talked about it, you know, just earlier the, when you recognize that you have a fear you know, the thing that's fascinating with fear is it's, it's, it, it doesn't want to be looked at, you know, it's, it's there to, to keep you safe and to protect you. And in order to move past it, you have to be able to look at it. And, you know, I like the analogy of fear is like a black hole. Like you, you, you only know it's there because it's warping time space around it, but you can't really identify what is the fear? What is the thing holding me back? It's, it's living literally in the unconscious of who we are. And so fear alchemy is a course that we're developing. It's more like a, a ceremony, really. It's this opportunity to sit down, learn about fear, but then be guided with the right questions into your own fear and the root of the fear. And a lot of times when you're able to identify it, something really magical happens. It's, it's when you're able to shine your light of awareness on that black hole and it becomes you know, out of the unconscious into the light of your awareness it, it can alchemize and dissolve and you understand it. And it, it actually can unwind unconscious patterns that may be holding you back from living your life to the fullest. And so this is something I'm really excited about because, you know, working one-on-one -on -one with clients, you know, developing a course and a framework that we can get out to as many people that are ready to take it. We can really bring this medicine at scale to a lot more people, which is going to be really, really exciting. Hmm. So a couple of quick things before you go, like you have a podcast and they're now eight zillion podcasts and everybody that I talk to on this podcast or my other shows, I ask them the same thing. Like, look, it's a really crowded space and people are fighting to be seen and heard. So in terms of your podcast, who do you talk to and what do you talk about on your pod quantum coffee? Yeah. I, I you know it's a lot of fun. When I first started it, I just really loved having conversations around the unanswerable questions of the universe. Obviously just this conversation, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty deep thinker and I love questioning and getting curious about not only the stories of reality, but the deeper stories of who we think we are and how we show up in the world. And so I love exploring those questions with, with my guests and the, you know, the podcast thing of 80 episodes in now, and it's continuing to evolve. And so I'm actually starting to do more solo casts where I share more about my journey, some of the experiences I've had um, doing guided meditations as well for people to connect with themselves and be more present. Cause I know we have such a busy life, you know, and I think, 
there's so much distraction. There's so much to do. There's so much going on always. And even listening to podcasts, like I find myself, it's hard for me to just even go on a walk without my phone because I feel like I need to be learning something. And I think a lot of people listening to this show can probably resonate with that. And so doing these, you know, you know, quick five, 10 minute breaths together and, and little guided visualizations to allow, even when you're listening to a podcast to slow down and be present, because I truly believe the more present you can be, the more you can slow down, the more you can enjoy this experience of life. That's how you get out of your head and your projections and your fears and your doubts and your worries and your anxiety is how can I find more presence with what is. God, that's so key. I was going to ask you about that. I'm so glad you brought that up. Quote, the key is to be present with everything that comes up. What does that mean? And what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, you talked about, we talked about emotions earlier. So like everything that comes up. So if you're having a bad day, to, to, to sit and be present with that and be curious about it and explore, you know, why these emotions are coming up and allowing yourself to fully feel them when they do come up. And, you know, for me, I, I still dance with this. This is why it's a journey. And this is why I think it's really powerful to have a disciplined practice. You know, like I do yoga, I meditate and I journal. And these are three things that really help me, you know, get curious about my stories of who I am and how I'm showing up in the world, but also, you know, finding presence. And, I, I'm a high achiever, obviously, like playing in the NFL for eight years. Like I, I want to accomplish big things. I want to make a lot of money. I want to do all these things. And sometimes I even get lost in the doubt and the fear. But when I'm present with it I'm a, and I allow it to come to the surface, usually I can you know, feel it fully. I can process it and I can come back into myself and knowing I'm exactly where I need to be and doing exactly what I need to do. So Joe, the one thing we didn't talk about that I really want to get your thoughts on really quickly, like you were busted up physically. I mean, you, you suffered some pretty significant injuries when you left the game. I'm curious how much, and so the listeners understand what we're talking about here. How much did you weigh when you played? Yeah, the most I weighed was about 319. I wow. played on average between 29, 295 and 300. And then how much work was it for those? I mean, something like, man, that's so awesome. You could eat what you want when you want. People have no idea how much work it is to maintain that weight. What was it like to maintain that weight? Yeah, it was really challenging. I didn't actually start, you know, understanding, you know, how to take care of my body with my nutrition until about my sixth year in the league. I started adopting the paleo diet. I wanted to take out processed food. So I started eating a lot more natural and clean. And I actually lost like 10 pounds. I played that final year, like under 290. And as an offensive lineman, I mean, I was definitely probably the smallest guy in the league as an offensive lineman. And they signed me back for my eighth year and they told me, Hey, you're gonna have to gain 10 or 15 pounds. And so I actually had to start eating more, you know, unhealthy foods, like thicker foods and processed foods. So I could keep that weight on. And it was a really, I mean, this is part of the, one of the layers of why I decided to walk away because when I started eating unhealthy again, to keep that weight on, I felt so lethargic. My energy wasn't right. And it was just hard to move around. And I realized, and that was one of the first moments I was able to connect with, wow, what I fuel my body and what I feed my body has such an impact on my energy my emotions and who I am and how I show up in the world. And that was one of the reasons I ended up walking away is I, it's, it's so challenging to keep that amount of weight on and obviously like pushing weight in the gym and, and just staying so strong to be able to push around these really massive interior off our defensive linemen. Um, it was really, really hard on the body. God, that's uh, it's, I think I'm a little late to this party. I'm starting to understand this now, finally, this late in life, but it's so true, Joe, right? Like what you fuel yourself with is not just having a physical impact, but it does. It affects your moods. It affects you mentally. It affects you emotionally. Like, are you still a paleo guy? Or are you plant-based? Like, what are you running on now? 
Yeah, right now I'm I'm mostly vegan. I, I don't eat meat as much. I probably eat meat like a couple times a month. Definitely not every meal. It's I think it's fascinating that people think they need to have protein with every single meal. You know, I've eaten a lot more, you know, natural, um, you know, uh, vegetables and fruits. And, you know, I still dabble with some ice cream every now and then, but I just have a lot more awareness around my body and what I feel it. Uh, I did do keto for a while when I first walked away from the game, which really helped me shed a lot of the weight. And I really enjoyed that for a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think just understanding, you know, how food affects my body and then, you know, not just educating myself. I think it starts with educating yourself on all these different diets, but that can even be overwhelming. And so it's really connecting with when you eat something, like how does it really make you feel? And that's why all this work really comes back to like being present with the experience, even being present with your food and how it makes you feel and how it makes you feel a couple hours later, and then starting to take those things out that maybe affect your energy levels and make, make you not feel as good. It seems pretty basic, right? Like do those things, like we know, we, we need to educate ourselves but to a certain extent, Joe, right? Like we know a lot of things or a lot. Look, we know what's going to make us feel good. We know what's going to make us feel like shit. We know what's going to make us, what's going to empower us. We know what's going to make us feel badly or kind of ding our self-esteem, yet we still make poor choices. At least I know I do sometimes. I think part of it is just being present. If we think about it before we do it, we'll probably make a better choice. So finally, are you still a bullet coffee guy? Or was it not technically bullet coffee when you were dropping butter into your coffee? Yeah, that was when I was doing keto. I really loved it. I'm actually taking a break from coffee and I'm going more into to matcha tea. To no. see how that okay, so I, I, I understand that, but I, I have to interject. Tell me, don't we don't have to take a break from coffee, do we? Can I keep the coffee, Joe? <laughs> no, you Come don't on. have to. You can do whatever you want. I'm just, I'm just trying Thank to see, you. you know, really question my relationship with it and how I'm using it. What I find is I'll, I won't just drink one cup of coffee. I'll drink maybe two or three cups of coffee in the morning and then drink a couple cup of coffees in the afternoon. And it just creates this cycle of needing it to stay up. Yeah. And, you know, those first couple of days after taking a break were really challenging, but now I can feel my, my energy levels are a lot more smooth throughout the day. So matcha, is that what you replaced it with or what? Yeah, yeah. I've been drinking matcha, some other teas as well. Um, a little bit of caffeine in there. I still love caffeine. You know, I love my stimulants. I think a lot of us do. I got it. All right. So if somebody listening right now wants more information or they want to work with you or they want to take part in any of these programs, you know this situation. Like, what is the best way for them to figure out or learn about your programs or reach out to you? Yeah, go check out heartcollective.org. That's H-A-R-T collective.org. And then go check out my podcast, Quantum Coffee. Heartcollective.org and also the podcast. Joe, this is really tremendous. Like, I want to make sure that you understand that I really appreciate that you set aside this amount of time to come on and have this conversation. It was really beneficial to me. You've given me a ton to think about, and I guarantee people listening would say the exact same thing. I appreciate you. I appreciate the time. And that was an absolute blast, Joe. Thanks so much. Yeah, Jim, I really appreciate the time as well, man. And uh, keep up doing the good work, man. So don't ever tell me the locker room is an intellectual wasteland. My man, Joe Hawley, is a deep thinker. And I don't mean for an athlete. I mean, period. He's searching and he's thinking deeply. I personally got so much out of that conversation, starting with his relationship to fear. I love what he had to say about that. Like, what's one of the biggest reasons that we're not living the life that we're capable of living or not consistently hitting our goals, much less achieving our dreams? Fear. Of course, we're afraid. We're afraid to put ourselves out there and take the big swings. We're afraid of what others will say. We're afraid of what we'll tell ourselves if we don't succeed. So it's so much easier just not to try. 
That way we never fail. We never experience rejection. We never get criticized. Fact is, it is a coward's life. You know it. I know it. We all know it. The universe favors the bold. Think about anybody you know that you respect, revere, admire. Chances are, if I ask you why, you'll say that he or she is utterly fearless. Right? But even those people are afraid of something. We all are. Which brings me back to Joe, who I think absolutely nails it. He said, I make fear my ally. He runs to the things that he fears most instead of running away from them. He embraces the fear. He uses the fear. He ultimately overcomes it. And that's where the real growth is. And then once he overcomes something he fears, he moves on to the next thing and he does it again. It's such a great lesson. Instead of being Instead of being paralyzed by the things you fear the most, lean into them. Instead of running from your fear, lean into it because, as Joe says, on the other side of fear lies freedom. I also love Joe's minimalist approach to life. Now, I'm not going to lie. I like nice things. I like shiny things. And there was a time that where I always appreciated it, I was living pretty large. I mean, I'll admit it. I liked the big house. I liked the fast cars. But come to find out, bigger isn't necessarily better. And less really is more. And Joe's philosophy of the cycle of materialism really does ring true. At least for me. I mean, it is true. You buy something that you don't need because you want that dopamine hit that comes along with firing open the box. Since you don't need it, it never lives up to the hype or the expectation. You come down off that high, and then you run it back with something else, trying to achieve the high that you never got the first time. Then you're constantly chasing while stockpiling a bunch of crap that you do not need, that you're not using. It only creates clutter in your space and in your mind. I mean, holy shit. You should see the number of phones and laptops I have in my desk. My office is a freaking Apple store. I mean, if I'm being real, I think the producers from Hoarders are on the other line right now, and they want to do an episode on me. Fact is, Joe is right. He's right when he says that we should live with less and experience more. I mean, the disease of more. More stuff, more problems. Live with less, experience more. Not only do the experiences cost less, they're actually priceless. I always tell this story, but I had a professor in college decades ago, and this dude I thought was really out there. Like, I liked him, but I thought he was a bit of a kook. And then he said something one day in class that I thought was hilarious. Hilarious and wrong, but for some reason, it always stayed with me. Keep in mind, when I attended UC Santa Barbara in the 1980s, the only mode of transportation was bicycles. Imagine like 30,000 bikes on campus. And I remember this poli-sci professor telling the class, and I quote, Let me tell you all something. A new bike is not going to change your life. Relationships are what matter most. End of quote. And I remember immediately thinking, eh, Wrong answer, kook. A new bike actually would change my life because some asshole stole mine a few nights ago at a party. And relationships really don't mean shit. Come to find out, though, my man, of course, nailed it. He was right, and this is coming from a guy who is still pretty guilty of chasing shiny stuff. Albeit, not as much as I used to, but a new watch, 
a new iPhone, a new car, and yes, even a new bike will not change your life. And relationships are, in fact, the things that matter most. And Joe Hawley, a millionaire who gave away everything that did not fit into his van, can attest to that best. Again, live with less, experience more. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Joe, and if so, why don't you reach out to him, let him know you heard him here and how much you appreciate him, and further explore his teachings. And if you don't mind, take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you have not already, share it, and leave a review as all of that helps as we continue to take this journey of reinvention together. I appreciate you all very much. Thanks for listening. Keep pounding, and I will see you next time right here on The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.